Hey guys, this is Diamond. Welcome back to the Inner World. So today we actually have our very, very first guest on the podcast, and that is Miss Maria Miller. Now she is on the podcast talking about her brother Larry Miller, who was unfortunately murdered in prison, and also just she's speaking about the the prison system and just how corrupted it is, as we all know. And actually, this intro is recorded after the fact that of us talking and I think that's how I really want to run my podcast is just because I want it to be so genuine and so not forced and I want them to feel like we're actually having a conversation I don't want to do the whole intro and all that stuff so I'm going to do my intros before the podcast starts but yes I had a I would say lovely conversation with Miss Maria as lovely as talking about you know the death of her brother and just the whole system of and how we operate when it comes to uh, criminals and people in the system. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you guys at the end of the episode. And I don't even know what I've been hearing people talk about podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I don't, it's like, you know, I'm kind of an old, older. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm um, a little older. Yeah, something I'm really obsessed with, especially because I'm not in school anymore. So I always listen to podcasts to kind of like expose myself to other sources of knowledge and not just listening to music. And since I'm so busy, I can't like really sit down and read a book like I like to. So like listening to other people's podcasts, I know there's like some history ones or some, or just listening, listening to people just kind of talk rather than like my music really helps me sometimes. So mm-hmm. that's why I enjoy podcasts personally for myself. Okay. So you're not in school anymore. Mm-mm, no, I'm taking a break. Um, but since taking my break, you know, I, I film weddings on the weekends. I, I have another job at, at the movie theater. Like I'm able to work and have a more open schedule. So I've been able to, you know, do short films and stuff. Stuff I wasn't able to do when I was in school. So just taking a break because school was not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was not feeling it. You got to find your niche. Yeah. It's been pretty great. I love the no school life, honestly. <laughs> And also saving money. The freedom. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of freedom. I know you wanted to come on here and talk about, like, your brother and, like, the corrupt prison system and how it could be way better. So, I guess just kind of explain to me, or I guess to the podcast, who your brother is, who he was, and um, just kind of his story. And then leading up to the point um, where his, I know he got murdered, so leading up to his murder and... Like, what you've been doing since then, and why you feel like the system is so corrupted. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Leave anything, I'll just circle me back. Yeah. So, um, my brother was Larry Miller. Mm-hmm. He was um, sentenced in 2002 to um, charges. Um, he was wrongly convicted. So he was sent off to the Missouri Department of Corrections to serve his time. He was fighting for his innocence through, um, he had just retained an attorney for his appeal. He had served 10 years in the Missouri Department of Corrections. Um, June 9th, 2014, he was brutally stabbed to death. That he was murdered. Uh, My family received a call from the prison. It was a very cold call. The only thing they would tell my family was he was dead was the words. Um, so, of course, um, we called and called. Like, they couldn't give us any answers. They actually, because he was property of the Missouri Department of Corrections, they had a hold on his body. They wouldn't give us information. Mm-hmm. So we wound up going up to a funeral home that was local. And they um, knew the procedure to get his body released. So we wound up having to pay like $2,700 to have his body sent back to St. Louis. Crossroads Correctional Facility is in Cameron, Missouri, which is right next to Kansas City. It's a um, place that I have um, recently found a letter from my brother that um, was asking me to get him moved from that place. Um It's not a region for um, St. Louis. Um, So what I've learned, um, I guess I can get into that. So um, the warden, they called, they wouldn't give us any information. So two days later, we had his body brought back home. That's when we learned that he was brutally stabbed. 
Um, we had to get them buried. The thing that got me the most is what happened to them. Um, it took them two years to, um, over two years to complete the investigation, which is an extremely long amount of time I began to like investigate many, many things with this case. Um, you will not find, I have not found in the MDOC one case that has taken longer. I think the longest was six months to complete the investigation. And that was considered a, a long, excessive amount of time. So, um, two years, nothing. They would tell my family nothing about my brother's murder. So, speaking with some inmates, we found out that um, his cellmate, well, at that point, we didn't know this, but um, what we did know was someone from a different wing. Prisons are having um, housing units, then they have wings like ABC. They have one, two, three. So these are um, wings. Someone from a different wing was, <clears throat> excuse me, allowed to go into my brother's cell and hide and wait on him to return to ambush him. And another inmate attacked him and began to stab him to death. Um, the thing about the inmate hiding in his cell, the way that this is a maximum security prison, the way the wings are set up, you cannot access another wing without a guard. There's no way an inmate can enter another wing without a guard. There's no way an inmate can enter another cell without a guard, unlocking the doors. So that was like one of my first um, alarms that went off. Um, Larry was stabbed 12 times. Okay. Um, so later, two years later, we get a call from um, Eric Tate, <clears throat> excuse me, which was the prosecuting attorney in DeKalb County. He explained that Larry was, um, this all happened because Larry was sexually assaulting his cellmate. I like freaked out at that point because I'm like, this is what you would call my family to say. I know my brother. You know, there were times I would visit Larry and and he would be like, you know, they were trying to rape this young boy and I stopped them. So I know, and my brother was not a bad looking man. So I know if that's what he wanted to do in jail, he could do it easily. I mean, so with that, I never told my mother this, okay? Because I'm like, I cannot tell my mother this is what they saying they murdered my brother for. So we get to court for the sentencing of one of the inmates, the one that was hiding in the cell. And I began to pray as I'm going down the highway, but I'm contacting media because at this point I'm like, what do we do? I don't know what to do. Um, and I prayed about it, and the Spirit just said, ask them for the truth. So this is where things just blow up. So I'll get to, we get to the courts, which is four hours away. Uh, we get there, and, you know, um, the guy never said anything. He just looked down. So at the end, I asked the family to speak. And I asked him, I, you know, I'm like, Larry was a king. He deserves the truth. He has children. They deserve the truth. And he looked at me, and he began to shake his head, yes. And he said, at the end, he asked him, did he have something he wanted to speak or say? <clears throat> and the guy turned around to me and he said, you want the truth, I'll give you the truth. And um, that's when he let us know that that was a lie. My brother never sexually assaulted his cellmate. That was a lie that was started for the ambush. So we went to court. This was last. Um, February or 17, it was in 17, so 18 months later, we go to court for the guy that was stabbing my brother. And he gets his time, which went from a first-degree murder, which he clearly said that he planned on doing it, he knew he was going to do it, he went with the intention to do it. And like I said, this is where the things get tricky. Okay, so the guy that actually did the stabbing, his, his case, he was already serving life without the possibility of parole. His case went from a first-degree murder to a second-degree murder. 
the guy that was hiding in the cell, his case went from a first-degree murder to a involuntary manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Now, um, our attorney that we had, she was fairly new, a friend of mine, fresh out of law school. She just said that it would be too much, so she had to withdraw. And when the second guy got sentenced, I'm like, I have to do something. I have, to, I cannot allow this to happen. And it's like my brother's spirit spoke and said, I need you to fight. If you don't, my death would be in vain. So I began to sunshine the state for records, the documents. The case was closed. I have access to sunshine law for these records. The first set of records, I see missing things. And what made me start requesting this information is because I'm not an investigator. I'm not an attorney. If it took these, the investigative team, the Missouri Department of Corrections investigative mm-hmm. team, over two years to investigate this, if this man will get on the stand and say that that was a lie, your investigation can prove that that was a lie. So mm-hmm. I feel like they knew that was a lie. Mm-hmm. So had I not asked that question, they would have allowed my family to leave there mm-hmm. believing that my brother was sexually assaulting his cellmate and that was the reason for his death. Mm-hmm. So I have court documents, which some are blotched out mm-hmm. of his statement on court documents saying that that's not true. So as I began to request these, you know, the uh, file, the investigative, the incident report, the chrono, just everything that came with the investigation, mm-hmm. I kind of see why the lady was true. It was lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of disk and paperwork. So I began to go through these things. I began to see missing documents. So I began to request those documents. Me and the prosecuting attorney, which is the Attorney General's office of DeKalb County, went back and forth and from September to January. Still would not give me. I'm specifically asking. No. He would keep mm-hmm. sending me the same file. I'm like, no, this is what's missing. I need the surveillance the morning of. I want to see him walk into breakfast. Mm-hmm. I want to see him coming back. I want to see what he did when he went to breakfast. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to see these things. This is part of their evidence, okay? Mm-hmm. Never would give it to me. So January 11th, he sent me over to Attorney General Eric Smith's office. He said, it was 30 days. We should have it to you by February 11th, February 11th. Because the, the, um, the so many files, it'll take us to March. March, nothing. April. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, mm-hmm. it's been all these months. Mm-hmm. They sent me the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this is the same thing. This is not what I'm requesting. I'm requesting everything. There are missing documents. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you need to go back to Eric Tate's office. So I put them both in an email. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back and forth. I need these documents. You you two can figure this out. Where are these missing documents? So one of Eric Smith's uh, workers popped in from nowhere. I guess they forwarded to him. He says, um, I suggest you get an attorney. Mm-hmm. So I asked. This was right at June. I asked, are you saying I need an attorney to get these documents? He never responded. The next week is when I went up and I filed a civil suit myself. I filed a civil suit um, against the Missouri Department of Corrections, the investigative team, the director of Missouri Department of Corrections, Eric Tate's office, um, and Eric Smith's office. And the reason for my suit was the prison failed and neglected safety. They they failed to provide a safe, a secure environment for my brother. <clears throat> I later learned that... Um, now, one staff member ever rode him over to administer CPR. So they allowed him just to lay there mm-hmm. for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. Because through the, the chronologues and the incident report, the times clearly don't match. Mm-hmm. There's a long gap of time in between your incident report and your chronologues. They're not matching. So that was some of the things that I was reading. That's why I wanted surveillance. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I put the investigative team in that report along with Eric Tate because I feel like I don't feel like I know that they gave my family misleading information mm-hmm. and now they're withholding information which is against the law. 
But not only did the prison fail to provide safe um, environment, secure environment, they also withheld information. They also gave falsified information. And the investigative team accepted this information and presented it to my family. Um, the Department of Corrections, they also, um, as they failed to administer CPR on him, they flat out lied as many reports saying that we rolled him over, you know, we um, attempted to get his bandages. The nurse comes 10, 15 minutes later, he's still on his stomach. Mm -hmm. No one ever rolled him over. So what were you officers doing in all of that time? Mm -hmm. So that's the big issue. So um, with this fight, I mean, um, it gets very tiresome. Um, no one really... I can't say that people don't care about inmates, but people um, are not so quick to listen or want to talk about this. And I thank you for that because I guess they feel like you've committed a crime. But what, what I want to shed light on is a lot of these people have not committed crimes. A lot of these people have been wrongly convicted, especially our people if you go back, like I said, I've done a lot of research, you know, you go back and you look, even start doing the data and gathering this information. Um, it's alarming that, and we hear it all the time, African-Americans get the horse, the horse sentencing. They get the longest, you know, um, incarceration rate and a lot of wrongful convictions because we lack knowledge. We lack resources. And we lack funds. So they go into this court. They're wrongly convicted for horse sentencing. They're sent away. They're sent away to a inhumane, dehumanizing, vicious, dark web. As I've been doing my research, these prisons are set up in regions. Okay? And with these regions, it reminds you of a plantation type of environment so um with this it's just this vicious cycle that i believe needs light reform um correction because the missouri department of corrections is more like the missouri department of corruptions mm -hmm. they are not changing or rehabilitating these individuals that go in there mm -hmm. they're stripping them mentally physically and emotionally and one of the things that i really you know got into in all honesty, and Larry Death, his constitutional rights were violated. The 13th Amendment was violated. The 8th Amendment was violated. Cruel and unusual punishment and the right to protect, they failed that. But even now, I'm looking at inmates because what I've done is since um, I began to advocate for inmates, um, just because I know what the prison system will do, and I go up... Um, and I visit, <laughs> and here lately, this started maybe April, I have, and it's just something like people come to me, I met a lady, my very first visit, her 21-year-old nephew was stabbed, attempted to be stabbed, he's a black young man by a white inmate, she, at visit he lifted his shirt so she could see the wound, mm -hmm. the guard ran off. So I began to write the warden. At mm -hmm. that point, they had no warden. The prison mm -hmm. is a high overdose of drug, drug overdose. So they didn't have a warden at that time. So weeks later, they got a warden. They have no incident in this. So mm -hmm. I'm like, your cameras don't show you this? Mm -hmm. So they placed this man in ADSEG. Another person um, that I advocate for has been recently... Um, placed in ADSEG three days after I filed my civil suit. Mm -hmm. I went up there that Saturday. It was June 8th. I filed the civil suit June 10th. June 13th, he's in the hole for one year. Mm -hmm. Which, ADSEG is like the hole. They will put a person in this hole. For like a long period of time. A year. He has a year. Mm -hmm. They cannot use the phone. Yeah. They get two... Two hour visits a month, that mm -hmm. is a mental breakdown. That's not correcting, mm -hmm. you know. So, 
Um, that's one of the things that I would like to see change. I know some states have already done away with that because they know that that causes psychological problems. But more so, um, what I've also learned, and my brother used to talk to me about this, this prison system has a IRR. So that means if I'm an officer and I want to say, hey, Donnie, you just pushed me or you have a knife on you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, mm-hmm. I can say, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. And then you can write a grievance. But the people that have to answer to your grievance mm-hmm. are all like related and family, friends. So, mm-hmm. of course, you're not going to give you the grievance because that would mean you would have to get your loved ones in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, and I just heard something on Demetrius Johnson's show. I think it was like the 18th of September. And it just blew me away because these things that I'm telling you, an inmate called in. And he was saying, like, how case managers will rip your eye or, or up. So that's the only voice that an inmate has that's mm-hmm. being ripped away from them. Um, they work inmates. Yes, you have a choice. But, you know, when sometimes when people go away, they don't have family that stick with them. They don't have loved ones that write them or send them money. So some people have no one in there. Mm-hmm. So they take these jobs. These inmates work from dusk to dawn for $7.50 an hour. $8.50 an hour if you have education. Which I hear the education is very slim to none. So the real thing with losing my brother and I guess when it was said like if you don't fight I didn't understand it then and I can't ever go to the next move without praying and Asking God, what do I do next? Um, one of the things that I, I I believe today that I didn't know a year ago when I began this journey, when he said it would be in vain, he's gone. It hurts really bad. I look at maybe his life was the sacrifice for the reform that the prison needs mm-hmm. because it's just a total disgrace the way they do families, even when you call up there to ask about your loved ones. So it's part of this civil suit. I put in that reform. This prison system needs to be reformed. Officers need to be accountable. The way that grievance policy is handled and managed, it should be taken out of the hands of the MDOC. Maybe the FBI, someone with higher authority, needs to go in there and make sure these prisons are properly ran. Like I said, they're not safe. They're not secure. They're not being trained properly. If they are, they're not following protocol. They're not doing their duties. We're paying tax dollars for these people to go away and be treated like slaves, Mm -hmm. in all honesty. I think those guards, after this training, those guards, those nurses, they need to be accountable. Okay, you put these men or women in these jails, what resources do you give them? Mm-hmm. How are you correcting them? I think that they should offer better education, they vocational training. You're not even helping them to come out to the world to be productive mm-hmm. citizens. So what are the chances of them coming out being successful? Yeah, I mean, if you look like on Netflix or Hulu or anything, they have a lot of documentaries of like, prisons and how they're run and everything so it's definitely I feel like people are more so like well that's not really happening to me so I don't really care that much until it happens to them and then it's like a then everyone kind of realizes how much it affects you so I mean it's not it definitely seen that kind of corruption and if you look at studies of like prison systems in Finland or other places they treat their prisoners like actual humans and not like prisoners and they make sure they give them like good meal and they like treat them more so not saying like you do have some prisoners who are going to prison for you know doing really bad stuff but in order to help them be a part of the society again is giving them the opportunity to do that so with like a good education system and not making them feel like they're less than a human yeah so i see like just how um how really corrupt our system is and it, a change do need to happen. Yeah, it's just, it's really crazy how you can see the difference between if you treat a human like a human, how it is, and if you treat them like less than what they are. 
you make them act. I went to a um, conference last weekend, mm-hmm. last Saturday, and it was basically ran by ex-offenders, and um, they have this, um, it's not an organization. Well, yeah, it is an organization, but what they do is they bring knowledge, and they're actually fighting for reform as well. And But these are people that actually have sat in there and did this mm-hmm. 20 years or better. And um, one of the things he asked us before he began, I went to, it was a workshop that they had different workshops. I decided to go to the one um, doing away um, life without parole. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to that one. Do you think that, um, so the first question he asked, he said, oh, so does anybody here think that it's okay? Like you, you're, it's okay to give a person life without parole. The person said, and this was kind of, it was a pastor. He said, yes, they do what they deserve. And another one was like, yes. And so my answer was, my answer has changed. And I'll say that I have a son and a brother that was murdered in the same little city the same year as Larry. And I want justice. Their murders are unsolved. And I'm sitting here telling you all of this about Larry and inmates. So why would I say, oh, I want them to get life too. Now, four years ago, yes. But what I've learned, so what the man said there, he said, that's not, that's harsh punishment. That's not corrupt. That's not correcting. That's corrupting. Mm -hmm. So here you might have a 17-year-old young man with the wrong crowd. And he probably actually did do something. It's maybe playing with the gun. Or someone got shot or robbery or whatever it may be. Does that mean that person can't change? Every And I look at my life. I'm not in prison, but I make mistakes every day. There are times I could have been in the prison system, okay? So, was that make me an animal? Was that make me a bad person? No. So... In reality, it took me years to get to this point with my brother and my son, whoever murdered them. Yes, they need to pay. Do they need to spend the rest of their lives locked away, treated like an animal? No. I know what it is to lose a loved one in one justice. I also know what it is to sit on the other side of the courtroom and watch your loved one get my brother. They gave my brother 52 years Mm -hmm. for a crime that he just was not willing to say who he was with. Mm-hmm. And that prosecutor knew that. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, that's corruption there. Mm-hmm. Because you know that this man didn't commit this crime, mm-hmm. but you're going to charge him. He's a judge now. Mm-hmm. At the expense of, so I want to go in and I want to have him investigated. And I want to see how many black young men did you sit away Versus other races. I just want to. I just want to know this. Mm-hmm. Because I know if you did it to my brother. You've done it to other people. Yeah. So you know. And just learning. About how much a prison makes off these inmates. And then. It's part of my reform at the end. It's funny you said about the food. I did put that at the end. Like, like I don't know if they'll ever do this. But you're feeding them like dogs Mm -hmm. but you want them to act like men Mm -hmm. you're treating them like animals but you want them to act like men Mm -hmm. you're putting them in a place where it's like eating or be eaten Mm -hmm. it's like placing them in the jungle where you have to survive and you expect for them not to protect Mm -hmm. themselves i asked one of the inmates when i went there i said can i ask you a question i said do you feel safe he said yes i feel safe i protect myself Mm -hmm. and i said i let that ponder though they don't trust the guards to protect them life. So these people have to do it this, Yes. And that's not mm-hmm. that's not right. Because that's worse than it is out on the street. Someone just died in um, Charleston, I believe, two weeks ago. And that said, had a seizure. Mm-hmm. Local family. Deceased. There are so, from speaking with inmates, there are so many people, and they actually some of these men said this at this event Saturday. You could sit there, you could see somebody walk into medical with a cough and come out dead. I just think that it's horrible. 
just the prison system. I mean, also not even like people who are convicted, but I was just speaking about this the other day with um, my friend. We were just speaking how some people are in prison just because they, just because it was easy for them to take a plea deal and be guilty and take the sentence and it was for them to continue to fight. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but um, Kim Bordner has opened up an integrity unit Mm -hmm. in her office. Mm -hmm. This unit does nothing but investigate wrongful convictions and police brutality. And I guess what's horrible, like you said, if it people don't know or don't care until it hits their knock at their door. But the the thing about it is the NDOC has ran me and ran me. I mean not even answering a sunshine request. We'll get tired. We'll give up. We'll stop fighting. Mm-hmm. We'll take the beating. So you get the um and it's funny that you say with the plea deal, one of the men's was saying, um, it was a guy they had gave ninety six years. He had he was he went to prison doing eight years. These were older men, so Agora wind up ending up he's dying, stabbed to death. They charged the man with the the murder of the Gore. Say he did not do it. They had placed him in the hole for years. Mm-hmm. So the man that was speaking said, and the man was there. He's free now. He was just thanking God that they gave me 96 years mm-hmm. for this. So the man was saying that he would, like, he saw him one day in the hole. He was like, man, did I really do what they said I did? Mm-hmm. Like, you, they will make you believe, make you believe start believing this, placing them in this hole mm-hmm. and still abusing them and mm-hmm. punishing them for something. So it's like, did I really do that? Yeah. Questioning yourself. Making you believe that you, because like, like talking about like the whole, which is what they use as like a punishment if you act out in prison, is literally like it'd be like go stand in your bathroom, shut the lights off, and just stay in there for like hours, and then you get like a meal. You don't get to get out. You don't see daylight. You'll probably I don't even I think they do maybe some prisons do like an hour of daytime. They not even that, and you just sit there in a hole in darkness sometimes with nothing but a bed and a toilet, and that's it. You don't talk to nobody. You talk to yourself. Nothing. You don't get no books. No nothing. And I think that is one of the harshest things to ever do as a human being. It's putting them, them crazy in a hole with just their thoughts. Giving normal people that much power over some people it can only build corruption. And like, they miss they misuse their authority. Mm-hmm. Like you're misused and what I've also heard, <clears throat> say if you get fed up and you begin to yell with the guard or argue with the guard, I heard they will. These benches are low. Mm-hmm. They will take this man and shackle him to a bench by his wrist and his ankle. They will shackle him there for hours until they decide, that, okay, your punishment is over. But just so happen if a meal comes in between that shackling to that bench, mm-hmm. you miss your meal. So that's starving someone. Mm-hmm. And we, I guess it's not everyone's fight, but as a people, um, we're okay with that. Or, again, I guess, like you say, it's not my loved one. I don't care. Or I was last night, I was looking at some articles um, to kind of see who had put stories out for my about my brother because I've contacted media. But this press release, like, well, they're familiar with the story. Maybe I'll send this to them. Um, and then I began to look at some of these comments these people would put under, and I'm like, they're still human beings. And when you get through, they're still someone loved ones. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know what's really a question that I'm pretty sure we'll never find out? Okay, my family was able to afford to bring Larry home. We did have, we would go, they shipped my brother five hours away from here. Okay? You remember those, you probably don't remember the older, but gas prices really, the, the economy really changed about 2000. 10, 12, mm-hmm. gas prices skyrocket. So you place someone love, you rip them away from what's safe and secure because of a crime. You ship them away five hours. A family can't go five hours like every weekend. So we have to go, we would go spend a night, well, go on a Friday, book a room, stay to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you drive five hours there, you got to drive five hours back. Mm-hmm. So we would just stay. Like me and my family would just stay, get hotel rooms and stay the weekend, mm-hmm. take turns visiting. We couldn't do that that often. 
So now you're ripping their family away from them. You're shipping my five hours away. Then you place them in regions where you know there's going to be conflict. Kansas City, St. Louis, that's a big conflict. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you just put St. Louis people in this region where they belong mm -hmm. so their families could have and, easier access yeah. to them an hour or two hours away? Mm -hmm. They have a strategy. And again, that strategy is not for the safety or the security or to protect these inmates. I have another brother. He, that's my dad on my dad's side. He, him and Larry went to jail around the same time. He just got out last year. And I was kind of like just talking with him about, you know, the prison system. And he was telling me some gruesome stories. He was like, if you get into a fight and they transfer, he said, they will send you to a prison with all of the people you just had a fight with. And you're the only one there. So every time you get out the hole, you got to fight, fight, fight. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something I forgot to mention. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I think if people do a greater research, they will really quickly realize that the system, I mean, people who have, people in families that have people that are in, like, the system know about it. And some of them lose the fight because they're not getting, they're not hearing back from anybody so then they just be like, they give up and it's like, you know what, whatever. And they move on. But like, that's why people need like people like you who is continuing that fight is continue to harass people and tell them like, I want answers. <laughs> and because I feel like people do, they do give up. They, they lose that fight, especially if they've been doing it for years. And even they, cause you said they took two years to do an investigation. That's a long time. Not to even know what happened to your loved Sister, one. Not, even know. not to tell you one detail. The mm -hmm. only way we knew he got stabbed is when he came to the funeral. Mm -hmm. And what people in the jail would say, that's not the way you do anyway. And that, I didn't get to finish. That's another reason I fight because I often think, what if we had not visited my brother and stayed in contact with him and, 10 years passed and he didn't have family out here. Mm -hmm. And the same situation happened. And no, we didn't have $2,700 just to have his body shipped back here. What happens to those people? What do you do with these inmates whose family can't afford this? Have them come home. I mean, I just, I, I feel like because families don't have that type of money. So in that situation, I guess what do you do with now you have this body and you didn't even tell the family how, what happened to them. You just kind of was like, well, you know, calling and telling someone, having that empathy to be like, this is what happened to your loved one, your son, your brother, your husband or whatever, your cousin, whoever it is. Cause some people don't have, a lot of them go off to prison and they're like sentenced, like in a place that's so far away that, the family can't possibly go visit them. Sometimes they don't have the money to send to them, to send them where they can, like, afford to live in prison, afford to get, like, those snacks, and afford to make phone calls home and all that stuff. So a lot of them just basically, when you send to them and they don't have family, they just kind of rot in prison. And you just said it right. And my thing is, okay, you're saying, we can't afford this, we can't afford that for the inmates, we can't afford this. Okay, you place the inmates in prison, you work them like, you know, human slaves for $7.50, and that amount has been that amount for decades. Mm -hmm. Even though the cost of living has changed, decades. So, like you say, some people can't, don't have family, don't have friends to send them money. Why not? There are some educated people in prison. So, I was just thinking of reform, like, okay, education. I think they should have correspondence class, um, self-esteem, like, workshops and different things, but why not allow inmates that do have training or knowledge to train these since you don't have the funds to do this. So you can work a certain amount of hours. You can get you a TV with that. Or you can work on a payment plan to get you a TV or with that $7.50, I heard the toothpaste is $2. Yeah. So now you got $5 left. So allow these inmates to do things around the prison that can benefit the prison. And then they don't have to do things to figure out how I'm going to wash mm -hmm. my body or wash my hair or brush my teeth mm -hmm. or look at TV or, you know, mm -hmm. that would make this correction to me. Mm -hmm. 
because you're building. Yeah. You know. I mean, when I mean personally for me, when I think of a correction, I'm thinking you are putting these people in a facility that is giving them the opportunity to then be put back in society. But if you're not giving them the classes or you're not even like a system like that where they're working towards something, then when they get out of the prison, it, you know, and on top of that, even when they get out of prison, it's very hard for them to find a job. It's very hard for them because they've, they're, they have, they've been a convicted felon. It's very hard for them to get work. So they just, they go back to doing what they usually do. But I feel like if, if we had a system where we're saying once you get out of prison, there is a high chance of you being able to join society again and get a job and make the money and basically kind of do what you did while you were in prison, but now you're just a free person. I feel like that, and that will help the greater system in all because when they get out of prison and they can't get a job and now they got to find a way home if they're far away from home and they don't have the money or whatever, and just giving them basically back what they had when they enter prison and say, all right, now you're off. Okay, bye. Have fun. Don't but come back. But you destroyed them in the process. Yeah. You've broken them down more than they were mm-hmm. before they came. So mm-hmm. you have this person that, okay, they commit the crime. They're, they're a monster. But when they go into your vicious web, they're becoming more of a monster. And that's like something that I put in that with, okay, um, positive reinforcement, okay? You have these inmates in here, and most of these things come from generational curses and learned behaviors. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, you put them back inside, but you haven't broken the generational curses, or you haven't helped them with the, you know, detach from the learned behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you're putting them now as a foreign land to them freedom because they've been caged so long. For so many years. And that's why a lot of them go And back. expect for them to... Survive. Go back to a normal society when they've been in the system locked up for hours and only get about an hour or so of free time. But that's not even, you're still in a caged place. And then saying, all right, well, go join society again, even though we basically tore you down mentally and had you on guard your whole entire life. So that's why I feel like it's a lot of, a lot of ex-prison, like a lot of ex-felons and everything, when they get out, it's very hard for them mentally to get back into a normal life because at the same time, not only do they live a very odd life, but they're up at odd numbers. Like they always keep them up and they wake them up and they never get a sense of like a real time. So when they get out, it's like, okay, well now I can't even function normally because I was great. I was like in this torture. Yeah. I was in this facility where uh, guards, I didn't feel safe because not only was I fighting prisoners, but I was also fighting the guards. Because if I did something wrong, they can easily take the power that they have, and I can get in trouble. I can go sit, be sent to the hole. So a lot of them, even if you try to, even if you go into prison and try to keep your head low, it's not gonna work out because, of course, in prison they all split up into different races and stuff like that. So it's like you kind of gotta join with your race to make sure you stay protected, and then you don't want to be the the um. You have to show that you're tough. So you gotta fight someone to show that you like your strength and everything. So it's all, it's very all corrupted. But if you look, I was just watching something on Netflix. I always forget things I watch on Netflix. But I was just looking and they're, the prisons like in Finland and everywhere else, their prison systems aren't built like ours at all. And no. like if you look, they treat their prisoners like so much better. And the prisoners say they appreciate that because when they're not treated like animals, I mean, get it? Like granted, they did do bad crimes. They did all this stuff. But how do you expect for them to learn and 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 grow from what they did? Change if if you put them in a system where now they're they're now they're just a prison number. And you're punishing them. You're not correcting them. Mm-hmm. You're pun. The system is designed to correct you. Mm-hmm. That's not correction. That's harsh punishment. Mm-hmm. So how do you expect someone to change if it's never been corrected? And when I say destroying, it isn't just mental. It's emotional, spiritual. You're breaking down a human being. And honestly, you're violating constitutional rights. I was even just looking up the constitutional rights the other night. I'm like, the First Amendment is freedom of speech. But yet, you can't say things in there or you're going down. Mm-hmm. They will attack and it's like, oh, I didn't do that. 
And, yeah. Oh, and I see you punch him or provoke him. Yeah, just setting them up. Especially because some, like, some guards are corrupted. Some of them, some of them, you know, they allow prisoners to do stuff and turn their back and turn their head and they say, hey, or, like, they'll smuggle in stuff that they're not supposed to if they, you know, they make a deal and they pay them. And and so, especially for, like, very such a system that um, needs to be changed. And I feel like correctional officers and everything need to be more accountable for their behavior and also trained more, too. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like they're not even... Cause I feel like they're trained. not properly trained for situations like that where your brother was stabbed. And so in that situation, it's like, okay, so what were you doing in those moments where you could have helped kind of so help him somehow survive if you don't just, I don't know, apply pressure to the wounds or something until the nurse came. Um, our lives matter. It's a not-for-profit. Um, when I started this off, I said I lost my brother and two brothers and a son in six months. So um, this was a time in my life I was ready for war, honestly. Like, mother never imagines losing her child. I didn't even imagine losing my brothers. But however, my spirit spoke to me to say, I have a war and it's not, it doesn't involve a gun. So I got heard a lot of stop the violence work from 2015 up until last year. When I decided to go inside the prison walls. So I had to back away from everything to solely focus on this. Mm-hmm. So actually, um, All Lives Matter, but when I started this vision, I always knew that I wanted a center. I thought it would be more of a woman's support. My son was um, going to school to be a teacher and a coach. So, like, okay, we're going to get the center. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to run it, you know, because mm-hmm. I'll be retiring, you know, mm-hmm. like later down. So when he was um, taken away, I channeled it um, more. So I knew I wanted to work with troubled youth also. Mm-hmm. So our lives matter. Um, what I really want to do with that is a mentoring program. You can you can get a child and you can change, genera- you know, learn behaviors and things like that. But you have to get family, the mother, if there's a father, so that when he goes or she goes home, they mm-hmm. have safety and security and they're not mm-hmm. being broken. So some of these people are adults, but they're still childlike mind. They haven't been properly taught. Mm-hmm. So if you can get a child and change a life, you get a family and change a life, it's, it goes into the community. That's how our communities have been so torn down. We, it was a, you know, I know you hear this all the time growing up. It wasn't. When you saw a kid do something, you could say something to that kid and you could, hey, get over here. We respected our elders. And that's what it came from because back then, if you were doing something wrong, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to let your mother know that. Mm-hmm. And then the community helped each other. So Our Lives Matter is basically mentoring to the youth. I eventually want to get um, centers um, going into this I tell you I did not plan on doing this um with this prison but here I am so I would um definitely like to get reform in the Missouri Department of Corrections as well as the courts. I would also like to um later down the line have a center for inmates, women, men being released from prison that will help them with resources, help them things that the MDOC are not showing them. Mm-hmm. I was looking up, we don't even have like halfway houses here. Mm-hmm. Some inmates have to stay in jail because there are no halfway houses. Yeah, especially inmates that like are good and like have good behavior or it's just like almost there. You would think that we will have halfway houses to like kind of get them or just have the resources for the people to like teach them, well, this is what you can do. Like you can apply to a few jobs. Like this is what, this is the people that hire people who are, you know, uh, like fresh out of prison. You would think we'll have that, but I guess I didn't even think about that. No, because I've looked it up. They do you have like any? You have? Do you have any social media for this organization that you want to shout out? For I have follow? A, um, I'm not into the. They all see to get an Instagram. I haven't made it to that match, but I do have Facebook. Mm-hmm. Our lives matter. I have a Facebook page. I also um, under our lives matter. I started um, justice for Larry Miller. Mm-hmm. Hashtag inmates lives matter. Mm-hmm. 
And it's basically, I have a petition out. Um, definitely more signatures with that. Um, Justice for Larry Miller, Inmates Lives Matter. It's for reform um, in the prisons. It's mm-hmm. basically talking about Larry, what happened, um, the safety, security, you know, things that need to be um, changed. I also have one, uh, wrongful convictions. So you can find those at change.org. You can also find them on the pages. Um, again, Justice for Larry Miller, hashtag Inmate Lives Matter. And you can also find it under my um, organization page, Our Lives Matter. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, I know for sure I had Miss Maria shout out her organization. So if you guys want to go follow them on Facebook, by all means, support them. Um, just the whole justice, not just for our brother Larry, but for everyone else who is in the system or who has been in the system and families who have given up the fight to find out what happened to their loved ones or what can they do to support their loved ones. So let's all just support and come together and get justice for those who need it. Now, here's how I kind of want to run my podcast from here, here on out. I personally do not like hearing myself talk a lot. <laughs> and I definitely did not make this podcast for myself to talk on it. I definitely made this podcast for others. And I made this podcast for people to feel like they have a platform that they can come and talk upon. Just like for for example, I really want to get the Dolan Twins on this podcast. On this podcast. I really want to get the Dolan Twins on this podcast because... They recently uploaded a video this past Tuesday. My video, my podcast goes up on a Thursday. So this past Tuesday, they recently made a video basically talking about how they have a burnout on, on just YouTube and everything else. And I really want to get them on the podcast to talk about it and more in depth because I have so many, so many questions. And I think just having them on would be such an incredible thing. So if you're listening to this, so if you're listening to this and you know who the Dolan Twins are, Let's plug them and ask them and say you should be on Diamonds. Welcome to the Inner World Podcast because this is why I've made this podcast. I made this podcast for all your favorite influencers and people you follow and your social media people and maybe even celebrities. I've made this podcast for them and I made it as a platform for platform for them to talk about just the struggles of being a social media person, of being in the light all the time, of being on such a of of people putting them on such a high pedestal and how hard it is for them to stop working and how them stop working feels like they're just like the Dolan twins they felt like if they never if they didn't post a video they would be letting their fans down and it's just that's why I created this podcast so I really want them on there that's the example so I know I do want to upload every Thursday but I think I'm only going to upload when I have a guest on um you know, Miss Maria Miller was the first person to come upon the podcast and act to be honest. So if you hear this podcast and you are someone who has a story, um, it doesn't have to be like Miss Maria. It, it can be anything, um, as long as, you know, email me and we talk about it. But yeah, if you have a story or just something that you want to share, I am more than welcome to have you on my podcast. I would love to have you on my podcast, actually. So if you are interested, please feel free, please. If you are interested, please feel free to email me at alexisdiamond18.com. That is A-L-X, no, I'm so sorry. That is A-L-E-X-U-S, diamond, D-I-A-M-O-N-D, 18, at gmail.com. Um, if you follow my social medias, you can find me there. You can DM me or anything. Um, yeah, so thank you so much again, like I said, for listening to this podcast. And maybe keep making more like these. Goodbye, guys. See you next time.